0: This recording is from Redemption Church in Tempe, Arizona. More information available at tempe.redemptionaz.com. Hey, good morning. It's good to see you all. It's all right, it's all right, whatever. Hey, real quick, if this is your first time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart and I'm one of the pastors. Um, if this is your first time here and you had kids and we were not able to have your kids come into our children's ministry, one want to apologize about that. Um, uh, it's Memorial Day weekend. The broke people, you and me, we didn't go anywhere. However, our 20-somethings, who seem to have all the money in the world, uh, they're gone. And so they weren't here watching uh, the kids. And so, so we want to apologize about that. Uh, normally, I do a lot of swearing and cussing in my sermon. I won't do it this morning because the kids are here uh, until the evening. So... Uh, Welcome. (laughs) Um, So also, last week I was at Redemption Gateway, and it was a great experience to be able to have Tyler here with you guys. Uh, Blakeman, who normally uh, leads worship, was in Arcadia. Um, And like I said, I was way out at Redemption Gateway. And so we have nine congregations, and most of them are here in the Valley. One's in Flagstaff, and then one's in Tucson. And I always thought, you know, Flagstaff and Tucson, those are the outskirts. And then I went to Redemption Gateway, and I thought, I'm going to as well drive to Florida. I mean it was it was it was it was very very far uh, it was really good to be with them. They're the most encouraging people in the world and so they send you guys blessings and, and and hay and horses and things like that. And I thought if we were bearing gifts, it would probably be like, I don't know, espresso and coffee and art and whatever we can bring, right? And so good, good time to be with them, but as always, it's always good to be with you guys. One of the things you notice, it's like family is that you have your intermediate family who you're used to being with, and then you also have everybody else who bears your name, and so there's a lot of similarities. Sometimes they look like you, but when you go in their house, you realize, oh, that's how you guys do it, <laughs> right? And I felt like that in Gateway, in and, uh, and some ways that were actually really, really good, and some ways that were good, but just different, and, um, and uh, it was, it, it's good to be back here in Tempe. Not that I never wanna preach at Gateway again, not saying that, I'm just saying, It's really good to be back here in Tempe. So, um, if you guys have your Bibles, why don't you guys turn to Mark chapter five, the Gospel of Mark? Um, If you don't have a Bible, slip up your hand and raise it really high and keep it keep it held high, and so someone could uh, give you a copy of the Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, please keep the one that we are handing out to you. It is our gift to you, so that you can grow in an understanding and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Uh, We believe the Word of God is sufficient, um, and also is a Give us an opportunity to know who God is. And so if you're just joining us, we've been traveling through a series in the Gospel of Mark. And um, just kind of a quick recap is Mark wrote this Gospel on behalf of of St. Peter. And and he wrote this Gospel to a group of people that were living in the Roman Greco world who were going through or getting ready to go through persecution for believing in Jesus Christ. And what we see at the very beginning of this Gospel is that Jesus himself um, is baptized, and then he begins his mission. And he says this in chapter one, verses fifteen. He says, "Repent! The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe." Meaning, everything that he's going to do from there is a display, um, is a hint towards, is a preview of what the kingdom of God will fully be like. And so, the kingdom of God is already here through the preaching of the gospel, through the power of God's Holy Spirit but it's not yet fully because there's still brokenness and there's decay. And we begin to see Jesus show these signs. Um, He has disciples that follow him. He's casting out demons. He begins to show forth his healing. Um, One of the first healings we see is that the apostle Peter's mother-in-law gets sick, and then Jesus comes in and he heals her, which we thought that was significant because most people don't even like their mother-in-laws. and All of a sudden, Jesus comes in and heals Peter's mother-in-law, and then he continues to show forth what this kingdom is like. And then when we got until the end of chapter four, we said there was a transitioning happening, and that is getting to the thrust of what Mark is doing in this gospel, and that is showing that Jesus Christ is Lord, um, that he is, he's sovereign, he's ruler, he is authority. He's not just your friend or your homeboy or whatever you try to look at Jesus as he's powerful, he's almighty, and he expresses that. So the first story was they were on the boat, and then a storm came. And then Jesus looks at the storm and essentially says, shut up. The storm stops. The, the next story, which Tyler was here last week, we looked at the demoniac who had all these demons in him. We were talking all this nonsense. Jesus essentially says, shut up. And then he casts the demons out of him, and then that man's healed. So he shows his authority over nature, his authority over the spiritual realm. And then, and then this week we'll see his authority even over our physical bodies. And, and this, this story, there's actually two stories in here. It's such a powerful story. So no points today, no principles, no lessons. Just hear the story and the character of who Jesus is. Um, You have a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. And then you have a little girl who's 12 years old who's dying. You have these juxtaposed story, and around it you have uh, the disciples who are watching it. you got this man named Jairus, who's the father of the little girl. He's coming to Jesus. And then at the very center of this, you have Jesus Christ, the, the Son of God, who is both powerful and transcendent, and yet he's present, he's with them, he's close to them. He desires to meet both of these women and then give them his physical touch to bring about holistic salvation that is both physically as well well, as spiritually. And what we see overarching in this is that it's Jesus' power and his presence to be with us. And I think it challenges many of us especially Bible-believing, doctrine-centered people, because we like to read in what we know to be true. We like to um, have good, good theology, which is very good. But sometimes I think we omit that God does really incredible big things, that you are more than just a sinner, right? that God is a good God who doesn't just forgive sins, but he shows forth his power in ways that brings us hope and that brings us joy, and he meets us where we are. And so it challenges people like us to ask the question, do we have this type of faith and this particular God? And so that's what we're gonna look at this morning. So would you guys do me a favor and bow your head, let's pray, let's ask God by the Holy Spirit to bless our time. God in heaven, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Spirit of Christ in which he has sent To be with us, God, we thank you for the opportunity to open up your word, Lord, with those who love you and know you and follow you and those who do not yet know you. We love to open up your word in the presence of old and young. God, we love to open up your word, ultimately trusting that you will reveal yourself to us, Lord, in power. So Jesus, we ask, and I ask personally, that you would remove and suspend our, our presuppositions about things and give us the reality of Jesus in such a way that our faith would be increased in Jesus. And what he can do, and what he does, does, and what he will do, God, we ask that your spirit would would do that for us. We thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. You've ever gotten that phone call from a really good friend? And a really good friend meaning that person you normally talk to, you don't really have a whole lot of serious conversations, and then all of a sudden when you pick up the phone, just by the first few words that they say that you know, this is not going to be one of the normal conversations that we have. I have a good friend in California. He was the only friend of mine growing up that was a Christian, man of God, man of faith, man of really, really big faith. And so usually when we talk to each other, we go back and forth about sports, and we've never liked the same sports teams other than God's team, the Lakers. And then after that, we would just kind of go back and forth with each other. And, um, and, and he calls me one morning, um, and I knew his wife was pregnant with their second, their second child, little girl, um, and he said, hey, man, we just went in for a checkup, and things are not good. And I said, well, what's going on? And he began to explain to me what's going on. And he says, you know, they, we've been counseled by our doctors to, to abort the child. He says, we're having issues right now because we really believe, we've been praying, and we really believe that what they're saying is not going to happen, that God's going to show up. He goes, here's what's hard. My family and some of our closest friends are telling me we're idiots. And uh, we, we don't want to hear your thoughts, but we want, to just, we want your prayers. And I said, man, of course, I'll pray with you. And for the next several months until the birth of this baby, we would pray with each other three days uh, a week. Early in the morning, he'd call me. He's in California. He'd be driving to work. I'd be waking up and because uh, I don't have to drive that long because we don't live in California. Um, <laughs> and, and so we would pray and we'd pray, we'd pray, we'd pray, we'd pray. And um, it was just a really hard time. And the more and more the pregnancy increased, there was all these difficulties, et cetera. And then the people in his church were split and like, hey, we're going to pray for a healing, but we're not really sure. The people in his family, the people in his life, it was very, very diff- difficult for him because he is thinking about his little girl. And if you have a little girl or you have a little boy, um, you know what it's like to go, I cannot control what happens to them. Well, at the first part of this story that we have with Jesus, we have a man in that situation. But he's got a little girl, and this girl's 12 years old, and his daughter is dying. 12-year-old little girl, that, that, that death is, is entering in at a time that it shouldn't. And I would add that death in itself should never enter in. It's the reason why Christ comes to pull it out of our whole world and bring in his kingdom. And so this man is a very popular man in his town. Um, he has prestige. Um, he's got a little bit of power. And so he hears about Jesus, and he wants to bring his little girl to Jesus, but he can't. So he runs and finds where Jesus is because he ultimately wants to let Jesus know, I have bad news. You're the only one that I believe could actually enter into this mess right now. And, and that's what we pick up here in um, chapter 5, verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again, And the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. If you can recall, um, the last couple of weeks, Jesus got into a boat, went to the other side, um, cast out a demon and a man. They said, the people around said, we don't want you here anymore. So he got back in the boat and went back to the land where majority of the Jewish people were. And it says that now when he gets to the other side of the sea, there's a crowd of people around him. Now, these people, they're crowding around Jesus not because they want him to be Lord and ruler and sovereign over their life. They've seen him do some incredible things. Or they really like the way he teaches. There's something about Jesus that they said when he teaches has authority and power, and so they want to be around him, and so there's a crowd around him. And verse 22, it says this, then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death, come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made, she may be made well and live. And he went with him. It's as simple as that. That this man, who was a ruler of the synagogue, so what that means was he, he wasn't a Pharisee, he wasn't a scribe, um, but he ran the synagogue, which was the equivalent of a church in their day. And so he made sure that the bills were paid, he made sure the lights were on, he made sure things were kosher, people were sitting down, they had Bibles being be handed out, stuff like that, right? And so that was his role. But everybody knew him. Like, if you were in that world, you would have known who Jairus was. You would have, you would have seen him, you would have, Jay, what's up, Jay? Good to see you, right? You would, have, you would have said what's up to him because you knew who he was, a very known man. Well, this man is, is now broken. Now, here's something else you need to know about this story. Remember the last time Jesus was in a synagogue? No, you don't. But I do. And so here's what happened. Jesus was in the synagogue. He gets done teaching and healing. What did they say? They went to all of the other Roman Greco men to begin to to, to plan to kill him. And so the last time he's in the synagogue, they're going, we're done with this guy. And here's a guy who's a ruler of the synagogue, but when real life hits, all your presuppositions and all your thoughts and your need for empirical evidence of who you thought people were, you kind of push those things and go, wait a minute, I have a daughter who's dying. Um, Jesus is the only one. He's the only one I've heard about. He's the only one that I've seen. He's the only one that people talk about that can actually save my daughter. And so he runs to Jesus, breaks through the crowd, and implores him. That literally means he begs and says, my daughter is dying. Can you come lay hands? And I love that physical touch. He doesn't say, snap your finger. He doesn't just say, say the word like you did to the storm. He says, will you please come and lay your hands? Do you know why? They actually believe that the way God mediated his grace was through physical means. I think that's deeply biblical. One of the reasons why we take communion every week here is, is we believe that God himself has given us, through the scriptures, bread and wine as tangible things in which he mediates his grace, reminds us of our faith. Things that which we cannot see become tangible. It's the reason why we're baptized, and when we baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the water, that it's not just a symbol, but it's a physical outpouring of the faith that we have in God. That when we read in James, and we, we, we ask you to do this, that James says that if you are sick, and you're constantly sick, and you are hurting, will you please come to the elders and let them put oil on you? It's not the oil. It's just something of which God moves through physical touch. They didn't have any weirdnesses with that. He just said, could you come and lay your hands and pray for my daughter? And I love this position of Jesus here. Jesus doesn't say, man, last time I was here, you guys were trying to kill me. He doesn't look at him and say, man, I don't even know you. He just says, Let's go. There's a need. He's God. And he's I'm going to try to meet that need. And he and he begins to walk with this man. Now there's a lot of lessons we can learn here. There's a lot of lessons just in this first part of this story in which we can learn, but ultimately it's this. You have a need, you got to bring it to Jesus. And even even more so, a parent, bring your kids to Jesus. You 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 can't save them, you can't make them follow Jesus, but they will follow your lead. If you are a man or a woman of God and you constantly take everything to Jesus, your kids will see that. They may not embrace it right away. They might not say, oh, I want to do it just like that. But they're inspired in such a way to go, "Um, all I know my entire life is when things were good, they praised Jesus. When things were bad, they praised Jesus. And there's something about what we see in scriptures when you train a child up in the way that he should go that usually what we see, now guaranteed, usually what we see is at some point in that child's way, life, even though they may stray, they come back and they go, what was ultimate reality for the people who raised me? It was this man named Jesus. And here we go. J- Jairus is not, he doesn't know Jesus barely. I mean, he, he's had Jesus in his synagogue before. He's probably heard him talk, but he runs and goes, There's a man named Jesus. And what I love about this is here we have this transcendent God who's completely other, who's completely holy, who's not like us, looks at this man and says, All right, let's go. And then they follow him. They follow him um, because this woman was sick. So back to the story of my buddy Josh. We kept praying, and we'd pray all the time. I would lose faith. Sometimes he would lose faith. There may be moments where I'd be able to speak into his life, man, and if you believe this is what God's going to do, um, this is what he's going to do. And I was really saving myself going, if you believe it. I never said I did. And one time he asked me, he said, do, do you believe this can happen? And I said, I want to believe so bad, but I really do. I just don't know. I mean, the doctors are saying this, and then the Lord convicted me. If God has laid something in on, on, on this man's heart, that he's going to do something, why do we always think that that's going to happen to somebody else but never to us? Like Every time we read a story like this, we go, that's somebody else. Why would we never think that maybe God wants to do this for me? I would say, in a group of people who have good theology, that actually your theology is not that good. Actually, maybe your theology doesn't lead you to believe that God actually cares about the individual as well as the corporate. And he cares about the corporate as well as the individual. And as we'll see in this story, that he actually cares about all that's around him. And it doesn't matter. So far we have we have Jairus who's a man of authority and a man of position. So of course he would be able to meet Jesus. But what Mark does here is he pauses on this story and gets us into another story. If you can recall a few weeks ago, Aaron Daly was here from Redemption Alhambra. And what he talked about was this Mark and sandwich. Um, which, honestly, it's a guy who wrote a commentary on Mark who helps us understand what Mark is doing in these sandwiches. Let me try to explain this. So a sandwich, you guys know what a sandwich is, right? And so the sandwich has bread, and then there's meat in the middle, and there's bread. And so the way these stories would go in Mark, oftentimes there's, there's a story. So we start off with this guy, Dyrus, and his, his little daughter. And then it pauses, and we're about to go to another story about another woman. That would be the meat. And at the very end of this section, it goes back to the story of the little girl. And so that's why you have the sandwich. And the way that you interpret it is it's the middle story that gives you the interpretation of all that Jesus is doing and what Mark is trying to say. And so there's a sandwich there. Um, now, it's a good sandwich because there's something in the middle. Like, if you grew up in my household, we had what we called wish sandwiches. And wish sandwiches when you had the bread, but you just wish something was in the middle. Yeah, just, yeah. And so... so There's not a wish here. There's something there. And so here's what we have here, picking up again um, at this latter part of verse 24. It says, And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and who had suffered much early under many physicians, and had spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She heard the reports about Jesus and came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment." Probably one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. Here's this woman. Jesus is going to go heal the little girl. Everybody's coming around him. And then there's a woman who comes. We don't know how old she is. We don't even know her name. She has no name. She's just a woman that's been bleeding for 12 years. And that she's had um, this bleeding, the way of women, her menstrual cycle, for 12 years. Ceremonially, she was unclean, meaning she couldn't come into... A, a group of people in worship that was something that was prescribed in the law. Um, people couldn't be around her. She couldn't have touch, much, much like the leper we learned about a few weeks ago, that anything she touched or anyone she touched would be deemed unclean. And so she herself had to keep a distance from people for 12 years. If she was married, no touch for 12 years. If She had kids, no touching her kids for 12 years. Friends, family, 12 years, no meet and greets, no hearing the word taught in the synagogue, none of that, 12 years. So, so the language that's used there was not only was, was she hurting in the pain, but the, the language there is cause of shame as well. Not only do I hurt, there's shame that everywhere I go, everybody knows she is unclean. She doesn't even have a name in the story. And so that's the position she's in. And so she takes this huge risk of faith. I know there's people there I know there's a great crowd, but she said she spent everything she had trying to get this fixed. That she tried everything in her particular day that she could possibly do. That she spent all this money, in fact it says she was getting worse, implying that chances are people were taking advantage of her. Chances are people who are saying, oh, why don't you try this? Pay me for this. Not going to work. She's getting worse and worse and worse. Now, I love these stories here and how Mark just juxtaposes the story. You have this girl who's, who's having immediate death. She's 12 years old. And then you have this woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. So, so think about this. When the little girl is born and she has life, this woman's life has been leaking out of her year after year after year. One is having an immediate death. The other one's having a slow death. And we have these pictures here, but both. The father, Jairus, is like, if I can get to Jesus. The woman, she says this. She heard reports of Jesus, meaning she heard something about this man. Whatever stories were kind of going around the world of Galilee in this moment, um, and, and mind you, people were talking about this. This wasn't mass media, that people were saying, there's this man named Jesus who says he's the son of God. Here's some of the things that he's been doing. This woman somehow heard the reports and like, I need to find who this Jesus is, and she thought, if I could just touch his garment, if I just get a, just a piece of him, and in some ways, kind of like a rabbit foot-like faith. This woman doesn't have a huge faith, she's just saying, there's this man named Jesus, if somehow I can get there and just touch him, then my life will be radically changed. Just real simple, 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 very small faith. And I stress that because of this. Oftentimes you you gotta have really big faith. No, you don't. Mustard seed faith. And the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years who said, I've tried everything else. Guys, here's the deal. Some of us in our marriages, they're not there. We're trying everything else but Jesus. Some of us in our, in our own um, walks with Jesus are trying everything else but Jesus to get back into right relationship with him. I think it's interesting how much we rely on so many other things other than the written word of God that is powerful and active. Now, I'm not saying that we don't need to learn from all the other good things that God's given us in creation. That's not saying that. I'm not saying we should never take medicine. There shouldn't be doctors. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying Jesus says he's the great physician. Um, Jesus says that his word is living and active, um, that, that maybe the word of God really is powerful. Maybe belief in Jesus actually changes more than just the forgiveness of sins. Maybe we have a God who cares about our physical realities, who cares about the things that we don't even think he cares about. Maybe we have that type of God that we would have that sort of faith. Maybe we have a God that can look at the impossible and actually make it possible. Because that's the God that we see in the scriptures. Well, here's what happens with Jesus here and this, and this lady. Um, pick up again here in verse 27 again. And she heard reports about Jesus and came from behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. I love that. She's like, if I just kind of, I mean, because Jesus had garments, right? Like long robes. Think about like pro club, long white tee, right? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus has that. So if I could just touch the white tee, right? If I could touch that, I'm gonna be healed. And that word well there, it's either healed or saved. It's used synonymously which I love that in the New Testament. Whenever you see the word saved or well or "hill," it's, it's a Greek word sazo, which means either "saved" the way that most Christians talk about it spiritually, that God washes you of your sins, but it also means well because it's showing forth what Jesus is doing in his kingdom, what Jesus is doing in the holistic part of his kingdom, what he's establishing, what he's already begun, and that is when he fully returns, that there not just be floating souls who are forgiven from their sins who can now live moral lives, But they're physical beings that are completely restored and in right relationship with God and in right relationship with the world around us and even our own physical bodies. That there's this picture of saying when God decides to save in the way that God talks about salvation, it is not simply just the forgiveness of sins. It's nothing less than that. nothing less than that. But it's far more than that. And she says, if I just touch him, then I will be made well. Well, verse 29. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Can you imagine that? Twelve years. She does, she acts on faith, which, by the way, when you read through the Gospel of Mark, whenever you see hear, if someone hears about Jesus and then acts upon it, that is a sign of discipleship. And it's not just in the Gospel of Mark, it's in the life of a believer. <laughs> you hear the things about Jesus and then you act upon it. You read the word of God and then you act upon it. That faith without hear, faith without doing is dead. It was the way James says it. That if you believe about something, you actually walk it out. And this, this, this woman believed something about Jesus, and then she walked it out. She touched him, and she goes, I'm, I'm healed. Like her life was about to significantly change, right? She's healed. She can go back hanging out. She can go get her hair done, get her nails did. She's out, right? I mean, she's like, wait a minute. You guys haven't even seen the healed version of me yet. Just wait. And then, and then now Jesus has this, this, this line that even when we read it in the Scripture reading, it's kind of funny, because he says this in verse 30, And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out for him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? Like, his, like this is humorous. His disciples are like, Jesus, you're supposed to be the son of God. And you're asking this is a dumb question, right? They're looking at Jesus like, Who touched? Thousands of people touched you. And Jesus is like, Nah, nah. Somebody around here touched me. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right? And, 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 and the, the language there, to me, is just, it's just great. There's just normal interaction. Like, we, sometimes we don't think that, like, Jesus was normal, and he, he was normal. It's like his disciples were like, man, everybody touched you. But here's what Jesus says here. Uh, if you continue in verse 32, he says, And he looked around him uh, to see who had done it. Now, that language where he looked around, meaning he kept looking, searching intently. Like, he's going, no, 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 no. Because here's what Jesus does. Jesus is not just for you having an experience with him without ever knowing him. And so Jesus is going, i got to find out who it was that touched me. I, I, I sense some power leaving from me, and i I, I got to go find who it is, because it's not just the experience that they had. I mean, I just don't want them to know that I'm a God who heals. I want them to actually know me. There's a way in which we can experience the things of God. There's a way in which we can see God from afar. There's a way that we can even attribute miracles and divine things to a divinity, but not know Jesus personally. And here's, here's the dichotomy we have. We have some people who are all about the experience. How come we don't see Jesus doing that now? I wanna see that in my life. If I saw that, I'd believe in Jesus. No, you wouldn't. You think that you're better than all the people in the scriptures who see Jesus did it and still say, eh. So, some, some of us are all about the experience and not about the person of Jesus. But on the flip side, there are many of us about the person of Jesus. We wanna know right doctrine, how I'm justified, I believe in Jesus, but man, we, we, we're afraid of the experience and and usually it's a blocker. It's something that we don't want to say we want the experience and we want to see God do mighty things. We don't want to see God do big things because we're afraid he won't and if he won't it's going to hurt me. It'd be better just to kind of go, I know what's right, I know what's true, I can see it before me. Guys, that's not even necessarily the fullness of the faith that Jesus promises that we can have. That when Jesus says you can have life abundantly, it doesn't mean that everything is going to be okay. That means you have to actually go out there in faith and risk and put yourself out there in the name of Jesus because of the power of Jesus. And so Jesus is looking around saying, I'm trying to not have this dichotomy between you can have a relationship with Jesus, but not understand the big things about Jesus. Or you can just pursue the big things about Jesus, but then not have a relationship. He goes, no, 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 I did something for this woman, or whoever this person is, I'm going to find her. And then he, then the woman, she's looking at him, she's going, uh-oh, he's looking for me. Like, you know when you're guilty, and like you try to hide out for a while, like, I'm just not going to say anything. And then your heart starts beating, uh-oh, I better say something. And then she goes to Jesus and is like, it was me, Jesus. Um, verse, yeah, verse thirty-two here. It says uh, thirty-three. But when the woman, knowing what happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. <laughs> the humility of this woman. She says, "Jesus, I did it. Why is she scared? She's healed, because she was unclean. And if you touch somebody, you made them unclean. And so there's this beautiful picture of the gospel." Where she transfers her uncleanliness to Jesus, and then she receives Jesus' healing. That's good news but she's afraid. She's going, I did something. I knew I wasn't, I really wasn't supposed to, I'm not supposed to be touching people, but Jesus, and she told him the whole truth. Another way to say that, she says the whole story. Here's what my life has been like. She shares her entire testimony. Here's what my life has been like. It was all good, and then something happened, something that normally happens once a, a, a month, and it was not a big deal, and all of a sudden a month turned into more months, and, and then it was years, and, and then actually you know, people were thinking something was wrong with me. I took all my money, and I took it to these people, and they, they used me. They took my money. I I was actually worse off now. And, and then I heard about you, Jesus. And I heard the type of person that you are and what the type of things you do. And so I came to you and I thought, if I just grabbed the hem of your garment, if I just touched the edge of your robe, then I would be healed. And as soon as I touched it, I was healed. And Jesus just looks at her and says to her, verse 34, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This woman at the beginning of this story was nameless. One encounter with Jesus, she becomes a child of God. She's ostracized from the community of people. In her society, one encounter with Jesus, just believing in him with the small faith she had, all of a sudden, radically, her entire experience changed. She went from being someone who was just a woman who bled for 12 years to being called a daughter, entered into the family of God. So not only was she physically saved or healed, but spiritually, she, she got salvation. She got Jesus. It just wasn't experience. It was a relationship of Jesus looking at her and saying, daughter, your faith, meaning it was your belief in me, your belief in what I could do, that you actually heard about it and you did it. That's why I'm here, I'm trying trying to get people to see, it's not just the things I do, is if you believe in me and not your circumstances, your faith has made you well, it saved you. You were saved by a personal relationship and believing in Jesus Christ, that it radically changes her life and it radically begins to change our life when we jump all the way in and say, if I could just get the edge, if I could just believe in this man named Jesus, He says, now go, and peace, meaning your life will be different. Now, Jairus, the father of the girl who's dying, has got to be like, Jesus, that's really cool and all, but my daughter's dying. Like, I'm glad you did this. I mean, I tried to get you over here. I wish there would have been an ambulance or something to say, don't touch Jesus right now. But you stopped, and you healed this lady, and that's really cool, but... It's not just being selfish. You think about your kids. Like, I'm happy for you all. I'm happy for this girl, Jairus. Like, I'm happy for that that lady. That's great. That's great. My daughter. (laughs) And then he hears these words. While he was still speaking, as Jesus was speaking to this woman, verse 35, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. This is the imperative of these stories. This is the sandwich. This is the meat of the sandwich. How do we understand what it is that Mark is trying to get us to see? What it is that Mark is trying to get us to do? Um, He says to them here, um, do not fear, only believe. That's an imperative. That's something that apart from this faith, apart from believing, apart from trusting your entire life with Jesus, not just your soul, your entire life, your marriage, your singleness, your future, whatever it is. And Jesus, he goes, do not fear about what can and what, not, what would not happen, but, but only believe. Now, go, go back a couple verses up. It says, but overhearing what they said. They came to Dyrus and said, hey, your daughter, she died. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And it says Jesus overhearing. And now, the way that that word is translated overhearing, it literally means to hear, but to reject it. Like, I ain't even hearing that. That's exactly what happened. Jesus says, overhearing what they're said is like, I'm not even gonna acknowledge that. And he looks directly at Jairus and he says, Okay, now you're in the predicament of faith. Like, now it's go time. Like, now it's gonna be real. You came to me earlier because you heard about some things I can do, but now you have to come to me and now you have to trust. Because before, your daughter was sick and she was dying. She's dead now. And he looks at him and says, What you have before you is what all of us have before us. That when we look at our circumstances and we look at our situation, we can have human despair or we can trust in divine possibilities. That we can look at what is seemingly impossible and there's nothing we can do or we can trust in one who makes all things possible. That Jesus is saying, shift your focus off the attention of your circumstances. Not to say they're not real. They're totally real. But then put your eyes and your gaze upon Jesus. Set your eyes upon the Holy One. Set your eyes upon the one who is here. Set your eyes upon the one who put on flesh, who came that we may have life. And Jesus gives not only this man Jairus, but speaking through Jairus through, throughout the ages. He's talking to us and saying, Will you look at your circumstances, what you can prove by, by, by maybe empirical evidence or going through a scientific method, or would you let all of these things get in the way of you seeing Jesus, trusting in Jesus? Essentially, to boil it down, what he's saying is, do you and will you live by sight and not by faith, or will you walk by faith and not by sight? Will you trust in the eyes in which you have by birth, or will you trust in the eyes that you have by rebirth and spiritual birth? What will we do? Well, he looks at Jairus, and he says these words to him. "Um, Do not fear, only believe. Like, that's what he, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion of people weeping and wailing out loud. And he had entered, and he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside, and he looked at the child's father and mother and those who were with them, and went, in the child's, went where the child was. Now here's what's happening. Because she's already dead... Jesus is about to make the impossible possible. And in that culture, when, when someone died, they would actually hire people. There was a professional lamenting that would happen. They would hire people to play songs, and there would be professional wailers, people who would cry. And so there's a whole scene that would go around death. And so this whole scene was happening, and Jesus gets there. He goes, hey, what are you guys doing? She's not dead. She's sleeping. And when Jesus says that, it's not, he's not just saying, oh, um, she's not really dead. No, she's dead. But what he's saying is, think of it as she's sleeping. I'm about to wake her up. And oftentimes in the Bible, when you hear that someone has fallen asleep, it's not that they're taking a nap. It's that they're, they're dead. But because they believe in the resurrection, they believe that God himself could raise people, they would use language like sleeping because um, human life in this world is not the end. That whatever, we all will experience death in this life, but it's not the end. It will continue, and we will have eternal life or eternal death. And that all depends on do we fear or do we believe? Do we trust in what we can see, or do we trust in what God has seen for us? And so he comes in the room, he goes, stop all the noise. It's not time yet for this little girl. And he pushes everybody out, and he's got Peter, James, and John, and he looks at the mother, and he looks at the father, and he says, come in in the room with me. And he walks in where the child was. Verse 41, and taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was twelve years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. Power and presence of Jesus. That he looks at this little girl and he says Talitha kumi, which which is an Aramaic, and no one spoke Aramaic. He speaks this language to her, and then he then he is able to to translate it, and it says, little girl arise. And that word arise is the same word we have for resurrection. That in both stories, Jesus was giving what he was here to do repent and believe because the kingdom of God is at hand. And the kingdom of God, ultimate reality, new life, perfect life, like eternity, is found in the person of Jesus Christ and nowhere else. Interesting enough is that Jesus, in this story, we see that he's not a, respect, a respecter of persons in the way that we think. First, we start with Jairus, who's this rich man, basically. He's got lots of friends, lots of resources, people know him, he runs a synagogue in a very religious culture. He is the guy. Everybody knows him. Everybody would be like, that's Jairus. We know Jairus. We know his little girl. We know his family. They, we, we hang out together and the whole deal. And then all of a sudden, we have this no-name person who probably doesn't have much. Everything she did had, she spent. And so you have the, the clash of upper class, lower class, those who have, those who have not. And yet, at the very, very, very crux of it, it is Jesus looking to Jairus and saying, the only Only way that you can have is by being like the woman. She was desperate and she was without. She heard about me and she acted upon me in faith. So he looks at him and said, you have everything you can have and natural resources and people, all of really good things that you can have. But what you don't have and you need is not to fear, but to believe. What tethers us together is not our skin color. What tethers us together is not our upbringing. What tethers together is who had a worse upbringing, who had a good upbringing, who has money, who doesn't have money. What tethers together in the name of God is do we believe in his son, Jesus? Do not fear, only believe. Um, It would be good for us to pray the big things of God and actually believe them and not think, but these stories, Ricardo, happened a long time ago. And then I can tell you, well, there's stories like that are happening now. Oh, yeah, but they happen for somebody else. Why couldn't they happen for you? And why couldn't they happen in our midst? Well, next week when we come back, we're going to see some miracles don't happen because people don't believe. When we begin to look at chapter 6 here, we're going we're to see Jesus said, I'm done doing miracles here. They don't believe. So the question we have is, um, not even the question, the imperative we have as we walk away is do not fear, only believe. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the grace that's been extended, the mercy that's been extended, the love that's been extended through Jesus Christ. God, I'm personally thankful for the opportunity to preach through a gospel in which we just get to see Jesus week in and week out constantly showing forth the glory of God, humbling us, compelling us, inspiring us, redeeming us, giving us infinite opportunities to know what true life is like in Christ. So God, I pray on one hand, Lord, that we would trust in Jesus Christ personally with everything of which we have. We would not try to live comfortable, safe lives, but Lord, we give ourselves for you. On the other hand, Lord, we ask that our faith, would we would believe in you to do the big things in which we see you do, we hear about you doing, and we'd actually believe that you care and that you move. Instead of being on one side, Lord, in which we know that you don't always do it, but we would be able to camp out on, even on the part of saying, but you do and you make things possible. We thank you for your spirit. We ask for conviction. We ask for the energy, Lord, to work hard at what you've already worked in through your might and your power and your strength. Help us not to be reliant upon ourselves, but rely it upon you. Cast out fear with your perfect love that we may walk with Jesus and know him. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.